Prologue. Saturday, January 17, 1987. Fawn Cresswell, 14, shivered from the January chill the moment she stepped out the front door of her home on Portland's southeast side. Although there was no ice or snow on the ground, the Arctic air from Alaska had pushed the temperature into the low 30s, as it frequently does at that time of the year, and the raindrops that pelted her face early that evening felt more like ice pellets than rain. She could see her breath as she pulled her insulated, multicolored nylon jacket, the kind that teenage girls everywhere seemed to like to wear, up tightly around her neck for the short walk to the convenience store a few blocks away. Although it had been nearly a month since the winter solstice occurred and each successive day had slowly given way to small increments of more and more daylight, it was still dark at six o'clock throughout the Pacific Northwest on that January evening. But Fawn paid the darkness no mind. It was Saturday night, and like most teenagers, she was bored. There was nothing that she wanted to watch on television, and despite the inclement weather, she had decided that she just had to get out of the house for a while. She reasoned that a walk to the store would at least give her something to do. It would kill some time, relieve her boredom, even if only for a short while. And there was always the chance that she might run into a friend along the way. An attractive girl with a well-endowed body for her age, Fawn minded her own business and sang to herself as she walked along the dark, not-so-busy avenue. Having never been a victim of violent crime before, Fawn, like most other people, had no reason to fear for her safety that evening. Bad things she had always believed happened to other people, but not to her. As a result of her innocent, still childlike way of thinking, appropriate for her age by most people's standards, she never even noticed the large semi-trailer with an attached sleeping compartment when it passed slowly by her as she walked along the freeway overpass. Similarly, she never noticed the truck's long-haired, bearded driver leering at her on that first pass along the block. But she would notice him soon enough. He was just in time on his second pass after circling the block to see Fawn as she walked into the convenience store, located just beyond the overpass. This was too good to be true, or so the driver reflected. After all, he'd just driven south for 135 miles on Interstate 5 from Tacoma, Washington to Portland, Oregon, the city of roses, and he had already found a perfect victim. While it was certainly bad luck for the girl, a concept that he would never have even considered due to his inherent and severe inability to feel compassion for others, it was indeed good luck for him. Rarely was finding a victim so easy. Fate was clearly on his side once again. With his libido now dictating his actions, he turned his truck around and parked at a location where he knew she would soon have to pass. Once he had her under his control, he decided it would all be worth the trip. He lit up a Camel Filter, his favorite brand of cigarette, and drew the harsh smoke deep into his lungs as he waited for the girl to come out of the store. Five minutes passed. As he waited for her to return, he became more anxious, excited, and his breathing grew heavier, more intense with each second that ticked by. Three minutes later, he lit another camel from the one he was smoking and flicked the finished one out into the street. He continued to wait, and he took out one of the long-bladed hunting knives that he always carried with him as he began to fantasize about what he would soon be able to do with the girl. He turned the knife over and over in his hands, 
feeling the sharp, turned-up tip as he gazed with a far-off look in his eyes at the reflection of a streetlight in the knife's polished, glinty steel. The things he planned to do to the girl were terrible, unthinkable by most people's values, but not to his. People to him were objects to be used for his pleasure alone, to be discarded like refuse when he was finished with them. He didn't care whether she had a family or what kinds of repercussions his actions would have on them or the girl. Thoughts of decency were foreign to him. All he cared about was himself, what he needed, what he wanted. Even more frightening, there was a part of him that understood all of this. Although he was not yet versed in the legality of what he was about to do, by definition he was going to interfere with a person's personal liberty and commit the crime of kidnapping in the first degree with the sole purpose of causing physical and psychological injury to his chosen victim. He was going to confine her secretly so that he could terrorize her without being disturbed.